Hello, Adams Ward. Uh, welcome back to the Adams Ward podcast. It is September 7th, 2023, and we are here with Sean Anderson, and we're excited to get to know him a little bit, and um, yeah, so we'll just jump right in. Sean, would you like to tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, um, siblings, hobbies, that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in a small town, Elko, Nevada. So Elko is like uh, three hours um, away from Salt Lake City, right on the I-80. It's about 15,000 people, I think, in the town. So it's not not a huge town at all. And uh, we grew up, uh, there was five of us, five siblings, and then my two parents. And our house, up until I was like in high school, our house was like about 1,100 square feet, I think, 11, 1,200 square feet. So it was a super cramped house. Three bedrooms, one bathroom. So one bathroom between seven <laughs> people, which was horrible sometimes, right? Yeah. But um, and my brothers and I uh, shared triple bunk beds in in our room. So yeah, it was stacked three stacked high. Three high. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So trying to, uh, you were pretty close to the ceiling whenever we would like, we would rotate and then if, if you're on the top, yeah, you were, you Don't were pretty wake up close too to fast. The, yeah. If you, if you jumped out, you had like roll out of bed. Right. But, um, anyway, so, but I loved that house that we ended up moving, uh, when I was about middle school to a slightly bigger house, not huge, but, um, slightly bigger. And, uh, but I like the small house. Like most of my good child memories come from that small house, mm-hmm. right? And we were we were cramped in a living room. But so I had two older brothers, two twins, David and Dwayne. So a lot of people in the Adams Ward would know Dwayne, my my brother, who's okay. now in Sunrise Ward. Uh, my brother David, his twin, is in Five Mile. Okay. And um, usually, so Dwayne was the bishop for a while of Pines Ward, and when David would come into our ward, uh, people would hand him their tithing envelopes, yeah. right? And he would have to be like, no, I'm not the, I'm not the right person, right? Um, so I don't think they look alike, but, you know, I've lived okay. with them my whole life. Other people obviously do. So my older sister, Paula, is in the Adams Ward, still Paula Folsom. And uh, then our, the youngest, Amy, is in Elko still. Okay. And so... She's still there. My mom, uh, my, my dad's still there now. My mom passed about a month and a half ago. So yeah, we've got my dad and, um, still alive, but anyways, we had a pretty crazy childhood. It was not normal at all. So we did uh, probably a lot of people know this, but we did a whole touring family magic and variety show Mm -hmm. when we were, when we were younger. So it started out as just a little thing, but then it kind of evolved into a big, stage show with illusions and um we did a lot of variety routines like uh, juggling fire and machetes and riding unicycles and so we would just tour and do uh different malls and fairs and festivals and small town convention centers um i don't know if you know that you high the the u city mall which is now torn down and okay. uh, it's like, it's like two different places now, but it's kind of by Winco a little bit, gotcha. but we used to do shows there as, as okay. kids because we had family up here. And so we, we had a whole bus and uh, <laughs> into an RV that we just cram into and then a, a trailer and we just tour around. And so uh, it started out as something kind of fun it, and it was, some of it was impressive, right? When we we're doing big juggling routines and there's fire and my brothers are, tossing fire torches back and forth as we're juggling and um but it ended up because we didn't want to do it professionally my dad had another job 
and we didn't want to, they didn't want to homeschool us. So it just kind of became something that was an unrehearsed type of show. So for for every cool experience we had, there was like 50 just cringeworthy experiences. <laughs> and I actually, I would love sometime to like, there's a whole sitcom to write about this cringeworthy family touring magic show, right? That I've got it all written in my head. It's all but <laughs> yeah. So because my dad would always say like, we, we didn't want to do the same routine the show, same show twice. So he would look at other routines that other people did, other magicians or comedy people or entertainers and say, Oh, my kids can do that. Right. So we did uh, like hip hop dance routines. None of us knew how to dance. Right. Yeah. We were wearing like MC hammer pants <laughs> and we all had perms because it was Sweet. easier to change costumes six, seven times in a show. If we just had permed hair, not gonna mess it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're just sitting there with our MC Hammer pants and perm, just doing horrible dance routines, right? And we did uh, country swing dance routines. And Elko's all cowboys. So everybody could swing dance better than us. But uh, somehow we'd convince them to pay money to come watch us do it, yeah. right? So it was me and Paula out there. We just do it different. Yeah, yeah. It was not good. And uh, um, I did an Elvis impersonation for years. I loved Elvis. So we're like, oh, well, let's turn it into an Elvis impersonation. So I had a, I would usually like sing to some high school or college girl and bring her up. And my, uh, my strategy was always like, if I can make her more embarrassed than me, then all the attention's on her. So I would just focus on trying to embarrass her more. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of it was super cringeworthy, <laughs> but some of it was fun, and we certainly learned a lot from it, right? But and we're close as a family doing it. But yeah, that's cool. So you did Elko area, you did Spokane area. Where else did you travel to? Uh, we would travel into California, all over Nevada. Really? We did uh, we did the Hilton in Reno a couple of times, and we did um, a couple of places in uh, in Las Vegas. Um, so yeah, we did have a couple of things that were really cool and worthy of bragging about, right? But most of it, most of it was like the corner of a grocery store, right? When we got when we when we started not wanting to travel anymore and it just became local in Elko, it was it was just yeah. small shows and gotcha. you know, but interesting. But we enjoyed it. It was fun. So yeah, we had that was kind of a big thing when I was growing up. But by the time I got in high school, my brothers had already left the house and. Um, Paul was about a year ahead of me, and so we we slowed down a lot on the magic, and that's when I got into doing more music and being okay. in the marching band and the jazz band, and um, I really developed a passion for music there, and I've I've obviously kept that through. I still play in bands now, playing a couple couple bands around town just from time to time, and then actually there's an acoustic band that Matt Kent and I are in okay. together, so we we do a show like the last Friday of every month, this place up north. Um, so just enough to keep the dust off the drums, but I don't do it. You know, I, I had my days right after my mission playing in Vegas and doing some bigger stuff, but, really? but now it's just, it's keep the dust off the drums. Yeah. And so, but I still, I was up until a few years ago, I was still teaching high school drum lines and, okay. and I still teach privately here. This is what the, my studio's for here now, right? <laughs> just try to nice. try to still bring some students in, but so yeah, that was my passion. I kind of moved away from that. Gotcha. Nice. I yeah. like it. Um, so grew up in Elko and you stayed there through your high school years. And yeah. when did you, was it when your mission that you first yeah. left there? Yeah. I, I graduated. I was a late graduator. I graduated 19. So I left on my mission like two weeks after high okay. school, I think. It's similar to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So actually everybody had, they had a thing on the back of our thing where everybody was going to college or where they were leaving. And so mine was all the way up to Edmonton, right on the back of the program. So (laughs) yeah, two weeks after high school, I was at the MTC and then served a mission in Edmonton, Canada mission. Um, and which was actually the same mission as Dwayne, my brother served in. Yeah, his was the Calgary mission, but so it was just one mission at the time. But then they split them in between us, and but most of the areas he served in were in the Edmonton mission now. Okay. So I actually got to meet most of the people that he baptized and families wow. he was close with, and I always joked around that I had to go back and reconvert yeah. all those people that Bring he baptized. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, served my mission there, and then um, that kind of led to so. Actually, when I was in high school, we had some family friends that lived down in Vegas, and my career path was going to be going down and working for them. So there was an entertainment agency in Vegas um, that was kind of always the plan for me to go down and work. And so after my mission, I it was about six months after that, I ended up going down to Vegas and worked for an entertainment agency. Did a little bit of drumming, but it was more just doing sound and lighting technical stuff, but also just stage managing, stage production um, okay. so we do like big corporate shows and, uh, you know, it was cool. We got to see a lot of famous okay. people and work with big corporate stuff all the time. Right. But so stage managing, is that a career that you go to college for at all? Or is it all on the, just know, knowing somebody getting in and learning? Yeah. I, well, I think it's like most things with college, like you can go to you college for know. it, but you, you learn more just more, doing the yeah, job. Right. Exactly. So, and that's what I was lucky to be able to have, um, a company who looked at me even in high school as family friends of mine and said, you know, we can, we can teach this kid what he needs yeah. to know. And so there was not a requirement for me to go to college. So gotcha. I was, that was my plan all along, right. Was to, uh, just after my mission, go work in this job and it was going to be a good paying job. And it was, I mean, I was a 22 year old kid and, I had a convertible Mercedes I would drive around that, you know, that was uh, lent to me. It wasn't the one I owned. I ended up buying a Camaro down there. But, um, but yeah, I was making decent money for a 22-year-old kid and, you know, just living the lifestyle, saving absolutely none of it, <laughs> right? But but just didn't think I needed to either because that was going to be my my career path, right? But I got I got three years into that. And I was like, I would, I would work six, seven months in a row without a day off. And most of the time, my days were like starting at three in the afternoon and going till like three in the morning. Right. And yeah. so that, that was more the Vegas entertainment yeah. lifestyle. And so I, I couldn't go to the singles ward like I wanted to. I would take interest in a girl and like all this, next time I'd see her, she's engaged because I'd been working for seven <laughs> months. Right. And like, yeah. so I, I couldn't date and I just realized that there was no way I could live both of those lifestyles right and so yeah so all of my good friends uh down there were kind of doing other things and i i was stuck i was married to that job and i realized that i would always stay that way and most everybody was that worked in that industry Mm -hmm. so yeah i bailed after three years and that was uh i found myself up here back in spokane but which is where my, a lot of my family lived. So okay. we were from Elko, but my dad grew up in Kettle Falls here. Okay. So all of his, a lot of his siblings lived up here. So, um, 
Donna Carpenter, who was on this podcast. I heard her episode. Yeah. She's my aunt, right? Okay. And so her her daughter Janae Kent is is my cousin. Billy Michael in our ward is my cousin. I've got a ton of cousins all over this <laughs> this town. So that's and great. aunts and uncles. So yeah, I kind of came up here to get away. My plan was just come up to Spokane for three or four months, mm-hmm. reset, hang out with family work a little bit and then head back down to Vegas because I loved living in, in Vegas, but just do something completely different. And that was 17 years ago now and <laughs> I'm still here. So, gotcha. yeah. So uh, when you came up and what, what made it stick? Uh, I was dating a girl. I found a girl to date Okay, and then that, that didn't work out, but uh, decided to stick around for a while and then stuck around for a little longer and a little longer. And yeah, but just gotcha. ended up not going back. Not going back. Yeah, there was no real, no real particular reason. So that was a challenge for me too, right? Because I I had a plan and it didn't involve college, and so now I'm older than, I'm four or five years older than most kids who are starting college. So yeah. like going to BYU Idaho didn't seem like a reasonable thing for me. I tried to community college here and hated it. Hated the classes. Walked out of one because I just didn't agree with what they were saying, and it was just. It was not for me. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So Pathway Program came along, and that kind of ended up becoming a perfect fit for me where I could at least go get the degree, uh, just a business management degree, right, and and just have something that I could fall back on. But Cool. So, yeah, thank goodness for that program because I don't know what I (laughs) would have done. Nice. So, So, well, tell us about your professional path where where you've ended up now. Yeah, so I, I think everybody in my profession just stumbled into that job, right? Nobody, nobody, like, because I work for a, um, a retirement pension plan administrative company. It's a third party administrator for pension and four hundred one k plans. Okay. So I don't think anybody goes to school and says, "Yeah, you, are, yeah, you know you what I want to do." High school and be like, "You know what I want to do?" <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to do administrative work for pension plans, but. Um, so we have a lot of actuaries though, in our, in our, uh, firm and, um, a lot of accountants and people with accounting degrees and mathematical degrees. I didn't have any of that. I just came in bottom level. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a sister-in-law who worked there. So I started just doing, um, a customer service, then kind of worked my way up did, uh, um, processing stuff for a while and then worked into consulting position for a little while. And then, uh, then a position came up, uh, they were looking for a marketing communications coordinator. And so I said, let me do that. They said, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a lot of on the job training and uh-huh. figuring out myself because nobody in there is really a marketer. Like they're, they're all, they're all spreadsheet people. And uh-huh. so, um, I've kind of learned a lot of that on, on, on the go in the last couple of years, but I love that position and it's kind of, it's now expanded to a few other things to where, I'm, you know, building websites on the side and doing some marketing, uh, you know, on my own for other people. But, um, so yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at now. I kind of went through a few jobs here actually. So when I, when I moved up here, um, I worked for Chuck Henderson. Um, some people will know here, my cousin and, and, and at the time my brother Dwayne was working for him as well. So they got me a job and they had me tearing off roofs. And that's not me at all. So I like, and I was just, I was up there on the roof and I was thinking, you know, a, a week ago I was in Vegas and I was doing sound for the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. And now I'm in Spokane, Washington, tearing off a roof. And I called, so I called my cousin up. I'm like, 
I'd been up further on the roof for like 10 minutes. I'm like, you need to come pick me up. I'm not doing this. Right. So (laughs) there's no way he's like, yeah, I didn't think you'd want to. But, uh, so yeah, I was, I went through a couple of things just to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. But, and that was part of the problem of just having, I had a, I had a career path. I had a plan and, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, everything kind of changed and I realized, well, I can, my career path was also not going to be a life path, a church path. Right. So, so now what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So do you work from home mostly or do you have an office or I do, you know, we, they would never let anybody work from home pre COVID. Yeah. And so matter of fact, they were kind of a company that said either you're here or go somewhere else. Like they, they wouldn't even take the threat of saying like, I'll go somewhere else. I said, then fine, go somewhere else. Right. But then COVID happened and we all got stuck at home. And after post COVID, they're realizing like, well, everybody in this industry is now remote. So, uh, I'm, I'm in the office two days a week and then here at home three days a week. Okay. And so, yeah, it's nice. nice. I love it. Just going to sit here and yeah. Work and get the work done, and <laughs> yeah, it's nicer now. The kids are back in school, it's a little bit more quiet, so yeah, for sure. I would pick and choose my days to be in the office based on whether or not the kids had things going on outside of the house or not. If they didn't, then I was going into the office during the summer, right? But yeah, <laughs> how nice yeah. is it going to be today? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Um, tell us how you met your wife. Uh, so Brianna, I, I met her when I first moved up here. It hadn't been that long, but um, she's six years younger than me too, right? So at the time I first met her, that was still a significant age difference that I didn't really think about it at all. But um, but also over over the years, we'd run into each other a little bit. But she had she had another boyfriend. I had another girlfriend. We, we just weren't interested in each other. And then um when we started dating i took her on a couple of dates and they were horrible like they didn't work out well for us at all and and it was mainly my fault uh because i had i had done the thing where i kind of take interest in girls in the summer and then they go back to byu and forget about the loser that's staying in spokane right so i'm like by the time i had done that so many times that by the time i started dating her we took her on a couple of dates but i just didn't show interest at all because i just knew what was going to happen she's going to go back to school and Anyway, so uh, first impressions were not good <laughs> with her uh, from you know towards me, but um, but yeah, then we started hanging out with more. She was best friends with my cousin Carly Norman Janae's okay. uh, sister, and um, uh, Carly liked my best friend Jim Norman, right? So we would always all kind of hang out together, and so you know then we started dating a little bit more and taking more interest in each other we kind of fought it for a little bit she didn't want to be pushed on to me by her her friends who were always mm-hmm. trying to set her up with their cousins right so um <laughs> but yeah so we we had dated a few times and and then i remember going down to uh my sister's wedding in elko at salt lake city um, my younger sister's wedding and I, I just missed her like crazy. And I had like, that was when I was like, Oh, I like this girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is more than just a girl that I'm taking on a few dates. Like I'm away from her and I miss her like crazy and I can't wait to get back to her. And so that was kind of what sparked it for me. Like take this a little bit more seriously. And I think she felt the same way. So once we seriously started dating, it, it was only, I don't know, five, six months of dating that we, until we got engaged and, okay. and got married in uh, here in here in Spokane, 2011 September. Okay. So we just celebrated, yeah, 12 years. Nice. 
She's kept me around. We re-upped for another season. Re-upped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So she was she going to school around here or just working around here? Was she was she going to school at BYU-Idaho. At BYU-Idaho. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and even when we were dating, she was going there. And then she she came back here and finished her schooling on, on Pathway. Okay. So, which I was grateful for because it just kept us here together. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well. And I was I was 30 when we got married. So I had been like a decade into the singles war and I was about yeah. to age out. Right. So, this before I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just made the cutoff before aging out, right? But, gotcha. So she married an old man. <laughs> old wise man. She had to check the life insurance policy before we got married. That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And tell us about your kids a little bit. Yeah, we have Kennedy. Kennedy's 10, Paul's 8. And uh, they're just, you know, I think we wanted to probably have about four kids was kind of what we had talked about. And then we had Paul and, and Paul's like two or three on his own. Yeah. So Paul, Paul is the boy that my parents hoped I would have. Right. Because he's go. he's me. And uh, for good and bad, he, he's me. So um, Kennedy's, you know, she's 10 going on 17 and uh, but always just just happy and always positive and. And, and then Paul, Paul's, you know, Paul luckily enough has been cute enough to survive, right? (laughs) There's that, uh, that survival thing, but I, we give him a hard time, but he is just, he's a super special boy. And he, like I say, he just, he lives life and he, he is textbook boy and he's also textbook little brother. Right. So, and it was interesting. I was, I was actually afraid of having a boy. I wanted just all girls. Yeah. Right. And, and when we had Kennedy, it was perfect for me because it kind of softened me up a little bit. I felt like I'd probably try to play catch with the boy on day one and just hurt it. Like, yeah. I didn't know what to do with the boy. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So um, Kennedy kind of softened me up and I just loved having girls around and she was daddy's girl. And so then when uh, we got pregnant with Paul, um, uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I, I look at some of these. I looked at me as a boy, right? I look at pictures of me. I just, I look like I spelled bad, right? Even in, <laughs> even in the pictures, I'm just like, uh, it's like, ugh, it's like comb your hair, tuck in your shirt, do something, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, but, um, that changed pretty quickly when I had Paul and then I kind of realized what that's like to, to not divide your love, but to multiply it. Right. Yeah. And, Cause the, I was, I was worried about that. I'm like, how, how do you, how do you love more than one kid? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, no, I love them, and and our our family for us is a perfect size, and just having the four of us is is great. We love it, so we love it. But we also said today it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, tough because when Paul leaves the house, we'll be like that's when we'll be like maybe we should have had more kids because we're gonna be empty nesters quicker than most of our <laughs> friends, right? But so. Uh, it all comes to an end for all of us. I know. Sooner I know. or later, right? <laughs> well, I'm looking at my, my, you know, my brother Dwayne has six kids and now he has the same amount of kids at home that we do. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it just goes by so dang fast. Right. So yeah. life happens quickly. It does for sure. Yeah. And speaking about life, um, we've talked about kind of some turning points in your life. Any other significant turning points in your life that have kind of changed your trajectory immensely or led you to where you are right now? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would say maybe one thing I'll say about the Vegas thing that's been um, 
kind of a huge turning point in my life. Uh, I knew from the time I was about a sophomore that that was my life plan. So I had that planned out when I went on my mission. I had it planned. So about five years of prior to that job, my life was laid out. I knew how much money I was going to make. I knew where I was going to live. I knew what I was going to do. I knew I didn't need college. I didn't know all that. So the interesting thing was for me, like, um, about six months before I came home, I started really feeling, don't do it. Don't go from your mission. Right. Okay. It's like, don't go to Vegas. It's not what the Lord wants you to do. Right. And then I waited about six months after my mission. I actually came up here, uh, worked with Brady Nelson for a while. I was just doing door to door, but sales, but, um, I started feeling strongly again, like, don't, don't go to Vegas. Don't do it. And so all of a sudden I get a phone call and they're like, Hey, we're ready for you to come down. We have a plane ticket for you. We need you down here for a show tomorrow night. And I was like, okay. And I complete, I went right. <laughs> and so it took that, it was that quick. And I think for me, because I, it was, I was scared, right? I had this five-year plan and I didn't have another plan. So, uh, I felt this prompting very strongly not to go. And I went anyways. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say Vegas was all bad. I learned a lot of good things there. Met some, you know, my best friend is still down there in Vegas. And I actually was a part of a church band that would do tours through Deseret Book for a while. And we would, we would go with John, by the way, and do some big regional things. And, um, that didn't last long for me because I couldn't do it. I was always busy with my job, right? But I was with them for a while. So there was good things that happened, but I, I learned later why I was not supposed to go because it's not, the lifestyle that Heavenly Father wanted for me to be able to raise a family. And even though I was doing good things down there, you just, it was not the profession that was going to allow me to do what I was supposed to do. Right. So, and it was tough to get out because I wanted to get out. I think they knew I wanted to get out, but they would keep bribing me. Right. And it was, it was always, wasn't even really pay raises. It was like, I would show up and there's a new set of golf clubs at home or there's a new watch or there's a new a drum set, like huge gifts. Right. Yeah. And it was just like, try to quit now. Right. <laughs> like they're making me feel guilty. And so I remember being up in the temple in Salt Lake uh, about two, three years into working in Vegas. And I just prayed, I prayed hard for a way out. And I didn't think I'd get it because I also, I knew that I had done exactly opposite of what the spirit had told me to do, what the Lord wanted me to do. And within like three days of heading back, the way just completely opened up for me. And my boss actually came to me who was pressuring me to stay and said, Hey, I just really feel like if this isn't what you want to do, maybe, maybe it's time you do something else. We don't want to lose you, but Mm -hmm. you know, and I said, okay. And I, I packed up my Camaro, everything I could fit in my Camaro. And I drove North to Spokane. Right. And, um, go quick before you change your mind. Oh yeah. And, and it was tough coming up here. Like I said, I didn't save any money. So I actually owed a ton of money when I came up here. It worked a lot of years to try to come out of my Vegas debt. Right. And, um, I had my Camaro broken into at the, at the, uh, hotel in Boise on my way up here and they stole everything I had, everything I owned. So I, I like limped into Spokane with a Camaro that had a broken window and all of my stuff stolen. And then I got a ticket for not having a seatbelt on, I think, or speed something <laughs> right as I moved, right as I came into town, right oh, before I even got off the Pines ex to the Pines exit. And so I was just thinking, what in the world? I thought this was right. I do. But, um, 
But I think that was a huge turning point for me, both uh, just in my life trajectory, obviously it was, but but also spiritually, because it allowed me to realize that even though I had done something different than what the, the Heavenly Father wanted me to do, he didn't say, see, I told you so, go figure it out on your own. He gave me a way out, right? And so there was a ton of mercy where he could have just said, hey, you, you made the mess, figure it out, right? But uh so that was kind of a huge turning point to me to realize, um, first off, have faith in the Lord when he tells you <laughs> to do something, have faith in yourself. And I think I had more faith in the Lord than in myself. Cause I was like, I'm, I, I don't know what I want to do. So I don't have faith that I'll be able to figure it out. So I'm just going to go with plan a. Yeah. Right. And so, but thankfully the Lord just, I, I mean, it, to me, it was very miraculous. It was very quick. Like what I went through to try to leave and struggle to leave and the fact that two, three days after I came out of the temple, like the way it was like Moses parting the Red Sea for me, it just this path that I had prayed for was just paved for me to 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 get out. Right. And so cool. um, that was a huge turning point just in terms of my testimony, too. Right. And how I how I make decisions spiritually now as well. Perfect. So that's great. Speaking of your testimony, when did you first gain it and how did you realize that you uh, believed in Christ? Um, that's obviously that's kind of an ongoing thing, right? But uh, you know, as a, I was fortunate to have parents who who had testimonies of the church, so I, I grew up um, surrounded by family members who had strong testimonies of the gospel, and so certainly as a kid, I kind of relied on their testimonies to a certain degree, and um, I uh, I went through the seminary program. I was a rambunctious sometimes just absolutely downright horrible kid, right? So after my mission, I had a whole apology tour to do to you know, <laughs> men's presidents and seminary teachers and and people who just, you know, <laughs> I just treated very badly. I, I was not the kid who paid attention in class and, and the kid who uh, made it not worth having a calling for these people sometimes probably, right? But, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think my mission was one of those things. But I, I would say for me, my testimony has come not, not in the moments of perfection or the moments of good, but more in the moments of imperfection in my life. Probably the moments that um, that I've struggled, right? And and being able to use the atonement to kind of um, use repentance and and not even if it's about repentance, but just using the uh, the healing power of the atonement too, right? Those are the moments that I think my testimony have come the strongest for me. Um, it was in the tough parts of my mission that I gained the strongest testimony of the Savior, right? It was it was in the tough parts of my career and trying to get out of bad situations, um, even though I had put myself there. That So it wasn't in necessarily listening to the Spirit the first time. It was, it was in trying to overcome that, right, that I gained the strongest testimony um, of the Savior and of the gospel, and also testimony of just listening to trying to figure out what Heavenly Father wants me to do, right? So um, I think it's been in those things. Obviously, you know, this last month and a half has been a difficult one with my mom passing, right? That's been uh, one of those things that's been a huge testimony builder for me. Um, you know, being by her side, by her bedside, holding her hand when she passed and um, all five of us there around her, it's just a, we, that was a tough thing, but that was also one of the more spiritual experiences of my whole life because she... You know, she had struggled, just labored breathing in those last few hours. And we were by her side for 
48 hours, some of us just kind of watching her go through this process and um, just labored breathing. And then she closed her mouth, she smiled, and then she passed. And we all knew it. We knew it immediately when it happened. And my dad even looked up before the machine beeped. He looked up the clock and said, that's the time, right? And so, again, something that's sad, something that's horrible and not fun to go through, I came out of it with a stronger testimony of the gospel. So I think that's kind of been a theme in my life. Those it's those it's the trials and the tough moments that have have made me stronger, right? But so perfect, love it. Um, tell us a little bit about raising kids and teaching them the gospel. Um, yeah, how do you? trying to figure out how to say this. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. How is it raising kids and trying to, to prepare them for, you say your testimonies come through a lot of hard trials throughout your life. Um, and as much as we want to keep our kids from trials, we know that we need them. Yeah. So how do you teach your kids about the gospel help them build a testimony as, as well as let them make mistakes and do the same thing. Yeah. Well, something that's coming to my mind right now, just about my kids and it's, it's, it's kind of backing up a little bit, but learning to listen to the spirit, especially after I hadn't done it before in a significant moment. Um, I learned from that. I gained a testimony of it. And so when we first got married, we had this whole financial plan we were going to follow before we had kids. And Heavenly Father was like, yeah, that's cute, but that's not, you know. He's like, also, like, Sean, you're 30-year-old, right? Like, you want to be able to get down and play with them and get back up again afterwards, right? So get get moving on it. And um, so we kind of just said, you know what? Our plan, let's throw it away. And let's stick with Heavenly Father's one. He wants us to have kids now. And we had no clue how we were going to make it work. Mm -hmm. Again, this is before I had a degree. This is before I kind of knew what I was going to do for a career. And um, Bree was working at Who Hot as a waitress, right? And so I was working as a courier driver. And we're like, we are not set up to have this stable Mm -hmm. family yet. But it was interesting the moment that we got pregnant with Kennedy all of a sudden, like the money that she was making in tips just doubled and tripled and again, the Red Sea parted for us. And the Lord said, I, but it was kind of one of those things that we had to do it. And then the Lord has showed, showed us how he would make it work. Just as it's, we see that in the scripture so many times, right? Like Nephi left Jerusalem before he went to the Lord and said, help me understand. Yes. Right. So after the trial, after, of faith, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, but with our kids, we, you know, we've, we've experienced this a lot, especially recently. So we have, really on both sides of our family, but um, specific instances that I won't get into, but our kids have been exposed to um, people who they love and family members who live different lifestyles. And um, we've had to kind of figure out the line of showing love, but also being a defender of the faith. And we know our kids are watching us, right? They're watching to see if we're loving people but also if we have testimonies that we're willing to stand up for. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing when you're facing that in school. It's another thing when you're facing that with family and people that you love. And it's something that I grew up with too, right? I, I had aunts and uncles and people who didn't necessarily, I love them to death, but they, they didn't always live the same principles as I did. So 
we've tried to just be as honest as we as we can with our kids in the things that they face. Right. Uh, one of the things that we've done is we have a right right in our living room. We have a, as big of a picture of the Savior as we could have possibly gotten. And that's been a central thing to us. And we point it out to the kids all the time. And um, I think the thing that we're trying to teach them the most is that there's a reason why the Lord says to love God first and then your neighbor. And it has to be in that order. Right. And uh, if you choose to love your neighbor over God, then you're going to be sent down the wrong path. And if you find friends who are not supportive of your decision to love God first, then you're going to be sent down the wrong path. Right. So uh, I don't know that we do it right all the time. Right. <laughs> but um, uh, my father-in-law said something recently, you know, when we were just talking about how to come to these decisions if you could walk away and you can still feel the spirit, then you've done it right. Right. And so that's kind of loosely the guy that I'm trying to go through as a father, like, all right. And I don't get it right sometimes, but um, I just think communication with our kids is important. Even at their age, we have to communicate a little differently, but, um, but they're learning. They have testimonies. I remember uh, a year ago, Paul had, um, we were praying for my mom who had cancer and he was just like, can we put her name in the temple? Right. And we're like, of course. Right. Because we've talked to him. We're like, if a seven year old kid is going to tell us to put the name in the temple. And I think he wanted his name in the temple or somebody's name for having a cold or something. And we could have easily said, well, that's not really what that's about. And instead, we're like, no, no, no. We're going to help him develop this testimony. If he's prompted that that name's to be in the temple, then we're going to get on our phone and submit that name to the temple right in front of them. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think we just try to, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that on both sides of our family, my wife's side and my side, that they have so many examples of people who have solid testimonies of the gospel. And, um, even, even Kennedy, if she decides to serve a mission, she's got so many cousins and aunts who have served missions that have been an example to her. Right. So, mm -hmm. But it's a scary world too. I don't, right? It's, <laughs> it's, uh, that's why I just feel, you know, even, even in church, right? Because children will listen better to primary teachers and young men's leaders and, uh, even better than their parents sometimes. That's why those 50 minutes of Sunday school or those 50 minutes of primary or whatever it is, that's sometimes the only 50 minutes these kids are getting, right? In yeah. some households. And, and in our household, we try to provide more than that, but sometimes we're great at it and sometimes we're not, right? And sometimes sure. we lose the patience to do come follow me the way the way we should too. But uh, it's just crucial to have an anchor for them. Now there's something to be said from yeah. good mentors that aren't your parents. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And we're lucky in our church that that exists. Yeah. I, so. I've said all along, I had a, a young men's leader Remember on, we had a, a bus trip. We were going to the Rose, uh, the Rose Bowl, um, uh, to, to do the uh, Rose Bowl parade. And, um, again, I was, I was a kid who liked to push the boundaries and try to figure out how far can I push it. And I had a young men's president who easily probably I annoyed and angered so much. Right. <laughs> but, um, I remember he, it was three in the morning. We were loading up the bus and he was dropping his son off too. And I, I put my backpack down and in the bus and then went to go load up all my drums and stuff in the trailer. And I came back to the bus and there was just a card sitting there, uh, in the backpack from 
from my young men's president, right? And and it wasn't like a a letter that said do better or be better or remember who you are. Instead, he just said, "I love you. The Lord loves you, and I'm grateful for you." And to me, even at the time, I just was like, "Oh, that's nice, right?" And it it was impactful. But now, twenty something years later, like now, it's incredibly impactful, right? And I know where he served his mission. I know the ex- the experiences and the stories. I can still tell you the stories that my young men's president had on his mission because he talked to us about them. I know he loved me, right? I so uh, yeah, I knew where my father served his mission and my brothers, but it was also those church leaders that like, man, they're so impactful, yeah, right. Even when they think they're not, right? <laughs> it might be twenty years later that they come and tell you how much you mean to them, but uh-huh. <laughs> but it, it matters. Cool, so. love it. Uh, anything else come to mind before we uh, touch on this last question? I don't think so. All right. I don't think so. Let's close up by asking you, in your own words, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, like I was, I think, like I was saying before, I, I, I certainly don't think it means to be perfect, right? And unfortunately, sometimes I think we put that on ourselves. Um, that if we're not being perfect or we're making mistakes, then we're not. But I mean, geez, look at the New Testament and look at his apostles, right? Like these, these were f- literal followers of Christ in his footsteps. earthly existence, <laughs> literal footsteps, and they didn't get it right all the time. And so, uh, to me, I think to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a progression, right? And, and it's going to have bumps along the way, but it's, it means that you're always coming back to the Savior, right? And you're trying to stay on path, but when you're not, you're, you're staying pointed towards Him and and be willing to be humble enough to come back to Him. And um, But also, like I say, in, in these days, to be willing to and not be afraid to stand up for Him. And there's a lot of pressure out there in jobs, and it's not just kids in school, but even even us and, and jobs and whatever else to... Um, to be willing to testify of Jesus Christ, to be willing to um, to share our testimonies and be willing to just follow him when the crowd says, do something else, right? Um, to stand up in his footprints, to stand in holy places, right? Um, I think that's been an interesting thing for me. Uh, recently, I shared uh, on social media, my, I was just going through and I found a video of my mom about six months ago, she was up here and uh, she sat my kids down and she was just talking to them about how she was trying to pray for strength and didn't always feel like she was receiving an answer to her prayer. And then anytime my dad came and held her hand, that's when she realized that's, that's how the Heavenly Father was giving her strength, right? And uh, just that moment of her teaching my children that was something that I was like, I need to put that on my social media. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's nice when I can do that. And I'm not always the greatest at doing that. I'm not trying to profess that I'm, you know, I think you look at my social media, there's enough silly and stupid stuff on there too. Right. But it was nice to be able to use my mom's testimony to share with other people. Right. But also, um, and I'm probably better at doing that, sharing other people's testimony, apostles and prophets and my mom's or any of my dad's. Um, than mine. And that's something I could probably do better at as well. Right. But we have to stand up for the gospel, right? (laughs) These days we just, 
the Lord needs people who are willing to, even if they have to stand alone, right? I think that, uh, Jeffrey, I'll, I'm going to mess up the quote, but he so, talked something about being being able to stand alone, and, uh, sometimes entering an arena f- full of tears and pain, right? But standing up for the Savior always, not when it's convenient, but just always, right? So I'm rambling, but that's... <laughs> Love it. I'll let you go on as long as you want. <laughs> Well, this has been so great. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you.